episode 71 of digital digital get down it's a birthday episode oh my gosh it's a birthday and then i gotta gotta pick pick up up the phone phone. are we gonna see that movie the second one sometime sure a red box free red box that's spot on yep spot on yeah spot on mate uh what are we talking about this weekend it's march madness you had some hot you had some hot basketball takes last night tell the people uh, well, I've recently decided that I need to pick a sport to get back into for the winter. You mentioned that in the podcast last week. Did I? Yeah, we don't normally do two weeks in a row. This is confusing you. Anyways, so basketball is not going to be the How sport How has your hockey me. thing been going? Uh, it's not been on. <laughs> okay. I checked the other night and it wasn't the wild. Fair enough. Like, I am not someone who can watch sports for the pleasure of sports. I've just, I figured this out a long time ago in my life. Like, I... I'm a competitive enough person that I need someone to root for. Mm-hmm. I can't just like turn on a game and be like, look, they're sportsing so well. Like I need to like care about the outcome. Yeah. Even just a little bit. Even in the Olympics, you get, you get attached quite quickly. Correct. So I turned it on the, the other night and it was not hockey teams I cared about and there was mm-hmm. no wild game. All right. So I really did. It was when you were at tennis the other night. Yep. So when you weren't here, I turned to hockey in my time of need and my teams were not on. Either team that I could conceivably have a tie to was not on. It was like the Lightning, which is mm-hmm. like Florida hockey teams, fuck, get the fuck out, versus like somebody else I didn't care about. Uh, you didn't fill out a bracket though at all. No, this is the first year I think probably since I could hold a pencil that I've not filled <laughs> one out. Uh, I just did not care this year. Mm-hmm. I did not care. I was coming out of my January, February hibernation slump, mm-hmm. um, which is still a work in progress. <laughs> and I just. Could not bring myself to care about it. Uh, and then watching it, I was like, fuck, this is sloppy. Yeah. And it's College both, basketball it's is both a bit of a mess. Fast and slow at the same time mm-hmm. in the worst ways of both of yeah. those. Always on a fast break, but never going anywhere. And no. somehow it always ends up with a three-point shot nowadays. And then there's just this, like, as soon as you're getting into it, you're like, oh! And then they're just like, slow it down, dribble around, <laughs> look at the shot clock for 20 seconds, keep dribbling. And mm-hmm. then all of a sudden it's like, fast break! And then it's like, slow it down, bring the tempo down, bring it down the court, layup! And then it's, I can't, I don't like it. Well, I was in the top 10,000 on ESPN after day one, after filling out a bracket, the fastest I ever have. So how I um, usually do it. Yeah. Mm. No mascots in play. But I like meant to do, I don't know anything about mascots, I just... Go by which team sounds nicer. Okay. Um, I meant to do a whole March Madness thing with the kids at school, and then I very much did not. Yeah. Maybe next year. My big thing that I was going to bring up was your new hobby that you started last weekend. Yeah. Tell the people what uh, hipster thing you did. Well, I think it's directly carrying on from uh, Great British Bake Off, which do we've you, talked about many a time. Do you have a yeast guy? Not yet. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I picked up bread making kind of spur of the moment. Mm-hmm. I don't really remember when it it triggered in my brain. You wanted to make a vegan and gluten free bread. Yeah. And then just like your your want. I know to do, what it was. You just yeah. immediately googled the recipe. and was like, I will make this tomorrow. 
Yeah, no, there's this, there's like very few options at grocery stores where it is both gluten-free or vegan, because mm-hmm. usually the gluten-free breads are made with, uh, you know, eggs and milk to, you know, hold them together. Yeah, as a binding agent. Yeah. Um, so there's like this only one variety, which is just basically almond flour and Ew, your water. Rice loaf? Yeah. Yuck. And I was like, maybe I'll get that this week as a treat. And I was like, as a treat, that sounds terrible. You sound like Matt Nathanson from that podcast. Yeah. So I was like, if it's just almond flour and water, like I could make that myself. And then I was like, challenge accepted, Bennett. But the difference between you and I, mm-hmm. one of many, is that you think that on a whim. And then you do it and you follow through. Mm-hmm. If I did that, I would have learned like 18 languages by now. Yeah. And like read every book that's ever existed and like baked a whole fucking cake. Like. Yeah, I picked my spots to be. And written a thousand books and fan fictions. Yeah. And did so many exercise plans. Man, we only get one shot at this life. <laughs> Get out of here with that shit. Um, so yeah, week one bread, I wanted to start slow, so I think I have room for improvement. Uh, but it rose a little bit. It was edible for a few days. It tasted good with the pulled pork on it. If you put saucy stuff on it, it was it fine. It got a little crumbly towards the end of its life. Yeah. But. The big challenge I'm going to try at some point is a true sourdough, where you let... You need a starter for that. Where you let it start for like a week or so. A week. You're supposed yeah. to have, like, family recipes passed down from... Haven't you seen that Brooklyn Nine-Nine? Yeah. Well, so you make one, and then you take some off, and you leave it, and it keeps kind of regrowing. Yeah. So you're so, going to do a sourdough starter. At some point, yeah. Okay. I support this hobby of yours. I mm-hmm. also support your gardening, as long as it eventually goes from just bonsai to, like, things I could eat Edible. in my mouth. Yep. Um, tell the people what I don't support. That could be a lot of things. Yeah, we went roller skating last weekend. Yes. Roller skating birthday party. Flashback to the early 90s. It looks exactly the same as anything that you did from 1991 to 1998. Straight out of the past. Yeah. Uh, same carpet. Probably has not been washed since then. Mm-hmm. Same kind of sweaty feet smell. Same arcade games. Same arcade games. Same prizes for the tickets that you get. Yep. Uh, I rollerbladed. Like a loser. Like someone who wants to stay on their feet and didn't fall the whole time and have any ability of maneuvering around small children. Yeah, I fell once. It just, it seemed like the roller skates, the whole four wheel thing, four wheels that don't turn together, that seems to be kind of so counterproductive. Four wheels. If you watch like the really good people, yeah. they were like up on two or one wheel. Yeah, no, I need to stick to, stick to ice skating. So you fell. One time, yeah. One time. In a corner by myself. This was a, <laughs> this was a full week ago. Yeah. Um, and your leg is a <laughs> fucking rainbow. From knee to ankle, like around both sides, is like a just full spectrum. <laughs> I've always been a color. gentle bruiser. I just can't. I It looks so bad because, <laughs> first of all, it just looks horrible. And you're like... What does icing even do? It prevents that fucking shit. <laughs> However, I also just don't bruise. Like, you could full-on punch me in the gut with all of your strength right now, uh-huh. and it would, like, maybe turn pink tomorrow. Well, right. You were, you've were you been hit by softballs in the past, and I've been like, that's a bruise? Huh? Yeah, it just looks kind of, like, pink and bluish, and, like, it, it, it's only if you kind of squint at it, then you could tell it's a bruise. Yeah. Like, literally, like... I could knock on wood that this doesn't happen, uh-huh. but I could like break my bone 
and my skin would probably look fine. Like there'd be a bone sticking out of it and the rest of my skin would be like, oh, that looks perfectly normal. Yeah, I'm fragile. And I'm, it's just weird. You've got to take care of We're me. We're both very white, mm-hmm. but my skin just does not show bruises at all. Maybe I just have like very resilient blood vessels. I don't mm-hmm. know. Anyway, it looks fucking terrible. And Can today I ha- when I found it, you were like, oh, I, d- I meant to have pants on when you got home so you wouldn't see this. <laughs> like you're intentionally concealing it from me. Well, the thing about bruises is that they come, you know, they look okay at first. The day after you're like, oh, that hurts, but it'll be okay. That's why you ice them so they don't get worse. But it looked fine. But it hurts, you said. Okay, okay. Can I have a minute to say something, please? Because this is, I think, will sum up my feelings as much as I can, okay? Okay, okay. When when I was 18, (laughs) I did not know how to crochet a heart. (laughs) So I gave birth to mine. (laughs) You see, you're deflecting, but it's working very well because that is the most ridiculous commercial I've ever seen in my whole life. Wow. Now, we love ourselves... This is, this is the neighborhood? Some, What's it called? I have it written down. We have some serious love for any sort of uh, This Is Us knockoff. But this By one... I love you mean derision, correct? Yeah. This okay. one takes the cake. Is that a saying? Yes. The most ridiculous It's part, called The Village. I assume about Greenwich Village? I don't know. The most ridiculous part is that that is the full context. That phrase you just said yeah. is the the full context. That's on how the they commercial. that's how they lead the trailer for this new NBC is or whatever this woman show. Going when I was eighteen, I didn't know how to crochet a heart, so I gave birth to mine. And then she's like spooning her like <laughs> her daughter. daughter. I hope it's her daughter. And then you just like what? But then they keep throughout the preview, they keep flashing to this ugly ass fence with a with an ugly ass heart. Do you want to lead this into your stitch? My stitching? I got so many hobbies. You have so many hobbies. So many hobbies. It's bonsai season. I got one new pot over there. Waiting for my new pots to come in. Going to be replanting in a couple... Wow, that's a bonsai stamp. Thanks, Grandma. That's cool. So many hobbies. We don't have a Um... Are we going to start getting into some other stuff here? I'm going to pick up the phone. I wanted them you to tell the people about your cross-stitching. Yeah, I got it. Well, occasionally the person who the cross-stitch is for sometimes listens to this podcast. So we got to be a little secretive. Really? Yeah, once in a while. Okay, I believe I've got you. side projects going on. Um, what? I don't have any news, as I just realized. Um, I didn't until I thought about it, and then I had one. Okay. Um, I guess I'm going to take a news as um, our Parks and Rec trivia last week. Yeah. I'm going to use this actually as my good and bad news. Fair enough. So, the good news about it mm-hmm. was that we, like, held our own pretty well. Like, yeah. we did not have, like, matching fucking t-shirts, and we did not, like, show up, rem- like, remotely on time. But. Yeah. Okay. But we held our own. Like, we were in the top, like, 10 out of, like, 40-something teams, probably. Right. We went to pub trivia specifically for Parks and Rec, even though I vowed to never go to another fandom-based trivia event, because we've tried to go to, like, four Harry Potter ones, and I'm Fact. sure we've mentioned on the podcast. What a fucking disaster they Because are people time. are, like, in the Twin Cities, they're like, holy shit, there's something mildly interesting to do. Oh my god, oh my and god. And it's at a brewery? Oh! Heather just jacked off. <laughs> I don't. I just don't get the brewery aesthetic. You paid to get into a room 
where you could then pay for beer or bring food from home or get pizza delivery from a place across the street and bring your dog. It's just such a strange thing. Mm -hmm. Such a strange thing. Yeah, agreed. Uh, and also, I can't ever drink anything there. Mm -hmm. So they're not going to, like, get me to order, like, food and yeah. beer and whatever. Because I, like, literally... You they, were like, our... I have one fucking bottled cider, you dicks. You were our team lead for sure on the trivia. I'm not sure I would have gotten more than a handful right on really? my own. Yeah. I was, like, on it. The I was most ready. fun part was the quote section where you had to fill in kind of Mad Lib style. That was... I disagree with you. That was the least fun part for me because I knew them, but I couldn't, like, mm. I couldn't quite get the words. Like, I knew the gist and I could hear the tone of voice or know the, the episode they were from, but I was, like, yep. missing the specific words. It's my bad news because it ruined Parks and Rec. A little bit. Like, Parks and Rec is something for me that is just very uncompetitive and just very wholesome. funny and wholesome mm -hmm. and joyful and hopeful. And it is... They kind one, of mm. what is one of the things that I love that I how do I say this? There are a lot of things that I enjoy that are problematic, uh -huh. and I acknowledge that they are problematic. And Parks and Rec is one of the things that I just kind of need to leave as is. Yeah, like there are many things that obviously on this fucking seventy first episode of this podcast we critique and get into and um, think critically about. Mm -hmm. And Parks and Rec is just like one of the few things in my life that I just need to, like, leave, leave be. Good. And have it be a happy place for me. Uh, I know that a lot of people in that show are problematic as fuck at this point. Mm. But I think I should be allowed to have a happy thing. Like, I can critique And was it the competition? Else. Was it the That's questions? What, I'm saying. what are like, you saying? Like, the, it made it a competition. It made it something, mm. like, one of the few things in my life that I don't make a competition turns it into a competition and, like, tried to make me feel bad about myself for not knowing, like, Andy and April's fucking house number. Mm. Fuck you. Right. You know? So it left you with, like, a bad taste in your mouth. Yes. Mm -hmm. And in the end, I was like, we actually did better than I expected, considering, like, we were guessing on a lot of them. And uh, I did feel good about some of the ones that I was able to come up with. But mostly it just, like, made me upset that I couldn't remember the exact wording of a quote when instead Parks and Rec for me has always been like, oh, that's a funny quote, you know? Yeah, for me it just stripped it down so much to, like, random trivia that I felt like it kind of lost its magic when you try to think of it in that way. I was also just annoyed with the um, format of the questions because it would be like, Andy Dwyer had a... Uh, pseudonym that he worked under when he did his children's show. Mm -hmm. That pseudonym was Johnny Karate. How many episodes <laughs> did Johnny Karate do? What episode like, did he first come fuck? up with that name? Yeah. Like, they did this, like, I don't know if it was deliberate or just poorly worded questions or overly worded questions, mm -hmm. but they did this thing where they, like, led you to think, I'd be like, that's Johnny Karate. And then they'd be like, that's Johnny Karate. What episode did they go to Dennis Feinstein's office? And I'm like, yeah. fuck you. I don't know that. I knew the Johnny Karate bit. And I feel like they did that with a lot of the questions. Yeah. They had this misleading thing where it was like, Leslie started uh, a group to empower girls and they went on a summer camp together. The Pawnee Goddesses. And that, like it gives <laughs> you the What fish age. was? <laughs> yeah. The Pawnee Goddesses went on uh, a fishing trip. What fish did Anne bring? And it's like... <laughs> You got it, though, honey. You got Fucking that Fucking mackerel. I knew that one. I was just thinking of this in the context of me finishing the show Barry today, which you cost, caught most of the uh, season one finale just of. Like a, just like Breaking Bad. I watched the finale. That's what I was thinking. 
But it got me wondering, like, like we bought we buy merch of Parks and Rec because it was that good and that kind of fundamental to our TV personas. And I often, I, I rarely lately want to watch a lot of TV. Mm -hmm. I was just talking about this to someone at work. I'm going to tangent you a sure. little bit. That lately I haven't been watching, watching a lot of TV and I think that's because it's very stimulating sometimes. Like sound and visually and when I've had a, a very stimulating day at work mm -hmm. with a lot of people yelling at me and shouting at me or whatever mm -hmm. I kind of want something quieter so I go to read or use my phone or something that's a little bit more introverted mm -hmm. um but it depends on if I'm like brain tired or emotions tired like if I'm brain tired like tv's great sure if I'm like emotions tired I just like can't handle the tv mm -hmm. and I can't handle like picking a show there are too many options um oh I do have a news I just thought of it okay but Parks and Rec is the one thing that I like. I'm almost always in the mood for, and it's always it's also something that syndication ruined a little bit. Yeah, because I kind of don't want it to just be the thing that you just like put on in the background. Like I want it to be like I don't feel like watching much, but Parks and Rec. Will make I know me feel I'm better. a hypocrite. I talked about on the podcast how ex excited I was that it was showing up on, and you got bored with it a little bit. But anyways, my point was like setting aside Game of Thrones because that certainly has become a cultural touchstone with its own trivia games its own merch and that kind of stuff like i'm not gonna go out and buy like a berry um berry sweatshirt or something mm -hmm. like what well, other shows recently have people i know there's fandoms for everything but is, are there really that many shows that kind of create their own subculture as well supernatural is coming to an end okay it's the one in my brain when you said that yep um, speaking of like merchandise, this is another bad news of mine that I just remembered. Mm -hmm. Did you know there is still one blockbuster? Saw the headline, didn't click it. Boy, that's a throwback. Clicked on it. Didn't care. Okay. Um. Did you expect to care? Uh, I was more curious because I don't really get the blockbuster nostalgia. Well, there weren't very many in New Hampshire, which I think is part of the... Yes, I never grew up with a blockbuster. If mm -hmm. it was just, like, generalized video store nostalgia, hmm. but then I guess there wouldn't be, like, the last one. But, right. like, it's kind of cool that this last blockbuster, which is in, like, Washington State, is making bank on it now. The mm -hmm. other second to last one is in Perth, Australia. Oh, that's funny. It's weird, but that one's closing down. So this is, like, the last one. So now they're, like, actually able to keep their business afloat. A museum, because, yeah. yeah, because they're a... Um, tourist attraction. Tourist attraction at this point, and they sell merch for it. But there was never a blockbuster in Nighttown. We went to Video Time too. Uh huh. And I kind of get the video store nostalgia because I get the, part of the reason that I don't watch TV, other than sometimes it's like too stimulating if I've had a stressful day, is that I can't pick. Mm -hmm. I literally cannot pick. Like I get like frozen with indecision of like what show should I start watching because unless I'm like actively in the middle of the show of a show or like craving a specific show otherwise I'm just like there's so many shows on my lists everywhere there's so many shows I'm supposed to watch I could watch a movie I could watch anime I could watch that show that I need to get back to from a year ago I could watch this new show that everyone's been talking about and I just get frozen with indecision I can't pick it's quite different than when you were at the video store and you could only take home two Correct. movies for the week video store that decision was fun because you got to walk around and your mom would be like come on pick one yep. and then you'd be like between two and then you'd be like can I get two and then sometimes you say yes and sometimes you say no or you'd have to have your brother be like pick this one so that we can watch this one 
Or, like, we get to pick a video game. And we had, like, a week to I was going to say, the video game dimension added we a whole We got to thing. pick a video game to play just for a week, just for fun, like, not worrying about beating it or something. And then you, like, mm-hmm. turned it in. And that was... I, I understand the video game, the video store nostalgia from that perspective. Because I'm like, it was fun to walk around and look at all the different videos you could pick from. And, like, pick one. And then the next week you could go back and do it again. Mm-hmm. And we always used to go because the takeout place we went to was, like, right next door a yes. lot of times. So we would just, like, go get takeout and, and get a video. And there's delayed gratification, too, because you have to take that movie home. You have to craft out the time in your schedule you to watch to it. You got to rewind it. You got to use the rewinder. Did you guys yes. have a separate rewinder? No. We had a separate device Stop. that plugged into an AC outlet. Stop. So that you could watch one video and rewind another at the same time. No. Yep. We did not have that. You just had to kind of watch as it went staticky and oh, go all the way backwards. Um, so, yeah, I get the nostalgia of, like, video stores in general of, and of that, like, kind of limited decision-making power mm-hmm. and, like, sticking with that one decision that you've made. Mm-hmm. But I don't care about Blockbuster specifically. There was one in, in your town, wasn't there? No, we had video update. You eventually had a Blockbuster. Yeah, we never went to it. Okay. As a rule. Okay. Um, okay, so those are your newses. My other news was about um, Amelia Clark from Game of Thrones. Did you read her thing? Saw yes, she almost died. Yet yeah, didn't twice. Wow. She had a brain aneurysm and then had then had a surgery to prevent another brain aneurysm that ended up causing a brain aneurysm. Like while she was in surgery, like in the middle of filming Game of Thrones. What a fucking badass. Whew. Um. I guess for my news, I'll just do a quick quick tennis minute sure, babe. because we recorded last week before the final at Indian Wells with my two boys, Dominic and Roger, mm-hmm. and I went roller skating with you and got a bruise while that match was on. That's how devoted I, I am. I think like a bruise is not a substantial enough word. Like you bruised like, <laughs> an, let's see, one. Two, three, four, five, six. Like an eighth of your body is bruised. It's just the front of the leg. A tenth of your body is bruised. <laughs> um. Anyways, so you were very helpful when we got home. You set up the replay of the ESPN event. Speaking of slowly rewinding or fast forwarding things. Man. Fuck. Oh, right. Because ESPN had the women's match, which I had already watched, mm-hmm. and the men's match combined. combined as an event. And you could only do like 30 times or whatever. So it was like... It, took- it was like 15 minutes to fast forward through two hours. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and of course, ESPN hasn't come up with a setting that lets you hide the end time on a streamed event. So I knew when it was going to end. I tried to mislead you and I didn't do a very good yeah. job of it. So Roger won the first set. And there was like only an hour and 15 minutes left. And I was like, they probably have the ceremony and stuff on. So he wins the second set and that's it. Uh, Dominic played his freaking little Austrian butt off though. He whacked the ball every single time he got a chance. And all I've read afterwards is Roger, you know, giving him credit. He said he came up against a great opponent who deserved to win. So Dominic won it in three great sets. um, And that kind of fulfilled my... My tennis fix for a while. They go straight into Miami like they're playing right now. The same, pretty much the same exact main draws. Okay. Um, and so maybe next weekend when it gets narrowed down, I'll pay a little closer attention. But Okay. Still holding out hope that we could potentially be in the London area come early July, Wimbledon time. We'll get you to Wimbledon, babe. We'll get you to your second Grand Slam event. Mm-hmm. 
I was so close to winning those U.S. Open tickets last year. I still don't remember. I came in fourth worldwide. Right, right, right. If Sloane Stevens had beat Serena Williams, I would have got. I would have gotten us there. Yep. Okay. Hey, it's your um, before we do a commercial, do you have any political hot takes before the Mueller report comes out? I still don't understand what's going on with that. I'm not going to lie. So I am just. I'm I'm going straight for all the internet comments. I'm scrolling through the actual stories <laughs> because these are the same people I'm what sure who have been commenting for two years saying impeachment, 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 and now they are all convinced that the public report will have absolutely no effect, which is how I felt from pretty much day one. But I'm just so amused that people have like lost all of their enthusiasm for it. Um, That's what happens when it drags on so long. My two hot takes, I just want to get on the record real quick. Mm-hmm. Number one, I've said this probably before on the podcast, if you get hacked, that's on you. Um, so the fact that Russians were able to get people to give up their email passwords with some shitty phishing emails, that's on you for losing your password. Tough beans. Number two, I do not understand the conspiracy. The idea is that the T word... Wanted to build a hotel in Moscow, correct? I don't know, babe. And in order to do that, Putin said, okay, I'll let you build a hotel if you let me make you president of the United States and then you can help out my country. Is that really how people are claiming it went down? Yeah. That was not my understanding of it. My understanding of it was that like... It was like a basically a shady business deal gone too far, but not specifically for the hotel, but just like I'll jack you off, you jack me off situation where it's like we want oil and you want your business and whatever. I didn't I'm think sure there's I'm like sure there's hotel. more nuance to it, but they've always talked about a Trump Tower in Moscow as being one of the major factors here. Like you're just building a building. Like people do that all the time in other countries and they don't have to go through large Manchurian candidate conspiracies. Man, give me an advertisement while I cool down. Book digits. B-O-O-K-D-I-G-I-T-S dot com. You can make a free account. You can track your books to read. PSA, it does go over a thousand. If you were wondering how many to read Not for long. It could have. Someone controls the code in this relationship. What? Rude. Um, you can keep track of your reading goals. Mm-hmm. You can keep track of the achievements that you're at. You can join Susan in the Diamond Club. Oh, someone did. What? Minerva. Bitch. Two entrants into the Diamond Club. She just got it today, hot off the press. I'm currently three books ahead of schedule, and I have just under 4,000 pages to go for my uh, Sapphire. Wait, what's after Sapphire? Um, Ruby, I think. This person who just got into the Diamond Club wants to read 100 books this year is 16 books ahead of schedule. It's impressive. Damn. I thought I was pretty good at I've read 20 books this year. Yep. In, in what, like t- 10 weeks of the year? Three months, a uh, quarter of the year. Yeah. So I'm on track to read like 80 books. That's pretty good for me. Cool. And you can also see the history of how many books you've read previously. So I can see that... I read 72 last year, but 82 the year before, Mm -hmm. and then 70 the year before that, and 82 the year before that. 
All right, it's your birthday, so I'll let you pick. Hey, it's your birthday. Book or mo book we or visual media. What are we talking about? Visual media because I don't remember uh, the book very much. Wait, I have one more bad news. Okay. Do you hear, read the thing about teachers being shot with pellet guns during an active shooter so training exercise? Saw the headline. Exercise? Didn't click it. I didn't click it. I I clicked on an article, but like a yeah. Twitter feed or like a hot take on it, and it's just atrocious. And I would absolutely quit my job if that happened to me. Yep, agreed. I would not let you go to that day. I wouldn't. No, I would like. I would not let you let me go back to work. Yeah. Period. Um, I'm going to talk about the show. I would rather just talk you? about the show. Okay. I'm going to pick that we talk about the show. Uh-huh. Uh, because we just finished it and because I don't remember the, the book that much. Fair enough. So the show we're going to talk about is a little bit of a game time decision. Yep. Uh, we just finished watching it. Binge, baby, binge. I mean, I don't think it's six episodes counts as a binge. No. But uh, this was one that I hadn't heard nothing about. And then earlier in the week, I was like, everyone's talking about this show. Apparently, it had like a huge sudden wave of internet advertisements because I've read other people online being like, why am I being bombarded by, you know, uh, advertising material for this show? Yeah. So they suddenly got an advertising budget. Yep. Um, Hulu original. Hulu Thanks original. to Spotify. Cheers to you. Clink. Ugh. Terrible. Uh, it's called Shrill. Stars A.D. Bryant. Mm -hmm. If you haven't heard of it, you definitely haven't been on the internet this week because it has been everywhere. I would like to think that that what I saw was a little bit more natural. I did not. I don't think I actually saw any ads for it. Okay. But I think like I probably saw people talking about it who had seen ads for it. Like I was the second. Oh, you're so naive. What? They're all ads, honey. They're all ads. That's what I'm trying to say. Is that I didn't see like any like sponsored post about it. Right. But like the. I saw other people posting about it that I'm sure were ads or were because of ads. So I'm saying I was just yeah. like second degree from the ads. Yeah. That's all. I know yeah. they are related to the ads. I'm just saying I didn't see any direct ads. No, I was, I was just like trying second. to start a conspiracy that these are paid, oh, possibly. paid people. Plants. It's hard to tell on my Twitter feed because Twitter did that thing, which was maybe intentionally obfuscating, where they uh, have like so-and-so that you follow liked so-and-so and then they showed mm -hmm. those posts. Sure. So it would be easy to I fuck with I believe you those. that Twitter is still a thing. It would be easy to fuck with those. That's where I get all my news. You don't even know about news anymore until I'm like, did you hear about this? And you're like, what? That's not on any news sites. And I'm like, it's I read Twitter. news three times a week as a rule. <sighs> anyway, so we were talking about Shrill. Uh, the reason that I wanted to watch it is that I like A.D. Bryant. AD Bryant. Uh, and I, the reason I thought you might want to watch you it. You said fat people and I said, yep. Basically. Here for that. Um, we never went back to Mad Mad Fat Diary. I think it might have triggered you or you got over no, it. I was going to bring that up in the context of this. Okay. Um, couple things. We also, you never wanted to watch Dumpling either. I forget that one. It was one on Netflix with Jennifer Aniston as like the beauty queen mom. Yeah. Right. I watched it. It was okay. Um, so I think I would certainly be more apt to go back and watch another season of My Mad Fat Diary than I would of this show. Not that I would write this one off completely, but it just, um, didn't have a ton of nuance that I felt like Mad Mad My Mad Fat Diary had a little bit more of. I thought My Mad Fat Diary was, um, a little bit more of a narrative with fat issues. Yeah. Versus fat issues with, with a narrative. a side narrative. Yeah. Correct. Um, I thought, like, the point, it seemed like Shrill was very, the point of it was, like, look at this person, she is fat, and we are going to deal with fatness in her life. Which Correct. is fine, and that's what they went for. That was their intention, and that's fine. Right. But... I have a couple thoughts on this. Okay, go. 
So first of all, I did feel a sense of community from the show. And a lot of that stems from the jealousy that I have. You and I have talked about this a lot privately. I don't know if we've talked about it on the podcast, but as a straight, white, cisgender, did I miss any other gender normative? What would that one be? Cisgender, yeah. Um, heterosexual? Male. I don't have like one of those very proud, loud subcultures to participate in and build an identity around. So the only part of my backstory that is kind of unique would be my obesity from ages as early as I can remember till age 20. Mm -hmm. Um, So I reveled in watching this and being like, as we talked about with um, Hannah Gadsby last week, her talking about her people. I was like, ooh, this is a show for my people. Yeah. This is a show for fat people or people who have been fat. Yeah, and like other people can watch it and enjoy it and be like, wow, that was well done. But like you watch it and you're like, that's me. This is for right. me. It's for me. Yes. And then I got to have that like second degree where I was watching the thing and I was like, wow, that's great that they're giving representation to overweight people. But I was also annoyed because the entire plot, like you were saying, was about her being fat. So just like when people are like, why does every story about gay people have to be about them being gay? Yeah. Like that carry the narrative. And so I wanted to be like, why can't they just tell a normal story like they do about normal people, but just have the main person be a fat person? Yeah. I mean, even like the more uh, normal quote unquote storylines still came back to the fact that she was fat and that was her identity kind of. Correct. Like even like the, the skeevy boyfriend person Mm -hmm. came back to the fact that like she undervalued herself because of how she looked and how that was perceived by society yeah and all of her family interactions and her friend interactions were all had some connection and her work interactions as well all had some connection to her weight yeah Mm -hmm. so we should probably provide a little bit of context about the show so she is ad plays annie it took us a while to figure out that they were in portland Yep, because I was like, they're acting like they're in a city, but none of the scenery is a city. city. And I should have been like, oh, that's Portland. You do watch Portlandia. Over now. That was the finale with Tessa Thompson. Mm, Good finale. Mm -hmm. Um, I used that as an example recently of how good of a husband that you were that you didn't make me watch the whole show. You just fast forwarded to the Tessa Thompson scenes for me. Yay. Um, So in the story, she is... Millennial. A kind of millennial struggling at a magazine or newspaper like every a person hip, yeah. on a TV show is. Um, and she has this kind of like sketchy fuck buddy who she wants to be something more and he's just like does not Probably have Probably just kind of has a little bit of a fat fetish. Uh, I don't think so though because then he would have like not wanted her to sneak out. Yeah, true. I think he's just shady. Yeah. Um, and just like a man boy. Uh, and then she has this cool roommate that she lives with, and her dad has cancer. Right, her parents are nearby, so they're, like, in almost every episode. Yeah. And... The dad is the... One of the creepy burglars from Home Alone, we're pretty sure? Yes, but after, like, the first episode, you kind of get over that, and he seems cool. Yeah, good actor, I think. Um... So Mom, not so much. I'm struggling with like what to explain about the show because that's basically the show. She is fat. Mm-hmm. She's trying to get <laughs> more articles like published, like every other fucking storyline about a newspaper yep. or trying magazine. to get laid. 
trying to get her sketchy fuck buddy to like get his shit together and like be a good person to her. Yeah. And uh, trying to be more confident in her life. Yep. That's pretty much it. It's only six episodes, so they can't squeeze in that much. I thought the stronger scenes were some of the, uh, not even more nuanced, but like smaller moments outside mm-hmm. of the plot. Like that moment where she like sees a big woman who just like stops traffic and like goes and like on buys kinda, yeah. flowers for herself because she feels like it. And like she like follows that woman and tries to emulate that woman. Mm-hmm. Like that was a cool scene because it wasn't. Uh, it's still kind of added to the plot, I guess, to her, like, I don't want to call it coming of age, but, like, finding herself kind of plot. Yeah. But it wasn't, like, overly uh, dialogue. No, the two of them didn't even talk. The two of them didn't even talk. So I think some of the stronger parts, or one of the scenes that stuck out to me the most of all the episodes is when she goes to this fat girl pool party. I was going to say, that would be the episode to watch out of all six of them. Yeah. She gets invited to this, like, inclusive pool party i forget how it was heavy or something yeah um where it's just like anybody of any size can go and wear their swimsuit and have a good time and not feel judged for it Mm -hmm. and she goes and at first she's like feels super awkward doesn't want to take her like normal street clothes off and just isn't really getting into it and then (laughs) she tries to get pulled into a dance circle and then she slowly backs out (laughs) to grab her drink which i like fell off the couch laughing because i've done that move so many times but then, then the she, margarita started working. Then the magic. margarita started working and she kind of like let go for some of her inhibitions and she just like has the best fucking time. There's this great scene where she's just like dancing at the fuck out in this circle full of and confident big women. And down to her bathing suit and swims through this crowd And it's just like, I'm having the best time. People. And she's like, without thinking of it, like takes her outside, outer clothes off, wears her bathing suit and just like jumps into the pool. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of echoed with this childhood scene of where she was like on a vacation with her parents and didn't want to go into the pool because she was like nervous about her body and how she Mm -hmm. would look so that episode was really well done and like once again that scene was not like overly scripted it was just like her dancing in a crowd to like ariana grande Mm -hmm. and you could just like feel the joy like it made you feel things and it was well done and it was well acted yeah and and i don't want to say a subtle way but just a um a lot of body language and not a lot of like poor scripting. Mm-hmm. I thought where this show struggled was the like Aziz Ansari, uh, what was it called again? I already Master of None. Master of None. Of tries it to go for that aesthetic. Yep. Try- I don't know if it tries to go for that aesthetic. It, it's, uh, I would compare it to that in that some of the scenes are either the people acting in it don't quite pull it off or this the dialogue is not very natural it's very writer roomy and not very it's, natural i mean yeah hulu i think is in a different class like if hbo had done this show it would have been i think pretty good if uh netflix had done it it would have been good and hulu did it and it was kind of passable it was okay yeah um it just didn't seem like it had been some of it seemed like it hadn't been worked enough, and some of it seemed like it was overworked. Yeah. In terms of the dialogue and like the plotting of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I have. I think it was a combination of because a lot of times we've said, you know, is it bad acting or is it bad writing? I think there was some combination of both here. Yes, and I think Ad Bryant struggled. I adore her. She's the best oh, part yeah. of SNL. Her and Kate McKinnon should just fuck off and make their own variety show. And, and I'd watch it every day. I take Cecily and with Cecily them, yeah. can come too. Um, but they, this but stretched she, her. A she bit. struggles a little bit because I think she was struggling to f- figure out how, how autobiographical to make it. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes it seemed like she was just being herself, 
in a funny way. Yeah. And other times it was like she was trying to act like someone that she wasn't, but wasn't quite hitting that correct persona for the show. Yeah. So I think she struggled a little bit, not necessarily in her personal range, but like it almost seemed like she didn't quite know if she was playing herself or playing a character hmm. and like where those lines blurred. Yeah. Um, I did, it did leave me with some feelings though. Yeah. I have um, some comments here that say, um, making a grilled cheese and reading one article does not make a person a good boyfriend. Yeah, so we need to unpack this a bit. Um, the boyfriend, Ryan, right? Yeah. He is a douchebag pretty much from like the opening scene. Yeah. Um, and he is involved until the very last episode. And it, presumably, if there's a season two, he will be around. The face that you're making tells me that you don't get it. I literally had a conversation with someone that I know the other day uh, talking about how they have this shitty person uh -huh. that has treated them poorly for years and years and years, and they keep going back to them anyways. But did they have a few good years to begin with? Because no. this relationship... No, they didn't. So you're saying I'm being shallow-minded and not... I'm not saying you're being shallow-minded. I'm saying that, like, I you, think you're you not You were yelling realizing. at the TV, too, yes. saying, this is ridiculous. What are you doing? Girl, no. Girl, yeah. no. Everyone in her life was saying, move on. She had other people to move on to. But I'm saying I think that's more realistic than you're giving it credit for. You're, you're, gonna, you're about to say that, like, that would never happen in real life. And I wasn't going to go that far, but it was just, like... The thing for me was that you they had to make Ryan a little bit more redeeming. Granted, Disagree. when he does shrooms with the dog, <laughs> he makes a bit of a comeback in that late episode. I love how out of context that is for the listeners if they have not um, followed the show. But he like I zero part of me wanted the two of them to end up. And I felt like even if there was five percent of me wanting that, then I would been would have been more invested in the show as a whole. Okay. You're saying that it was all meant to prove a point. That because was, she wasn't confident or yes, something. That she was taking what she got. And even like episode two, you said that, that like you could see bits of that in people that you know as well of like this low self-esteem thing of like, I can't get anyone better. So I'll settle for this person. Yeah. And I, yeah, I wasn't blind to that completely. But then by like episode four and five, when he does the 10th terrible thing in a row day after day after day, and you have not seen him come through in any way, I thought that was too much. And for me, I'm thinking like the way that I was being like, girl, no, it felt a little bit more realistic of like people in your life that you just like can't, like people that I know who have similar situations where they just can't let go of someone even though everyone is like, this is a bad idea, but they're like, yeah, but they'll change or but they're trying or like, it's so easy to make excuses. It's like one step away from an abusive relationship, basically, where yeah. it's like any tiny morsel of goodness. You're like, but that was so nice that they did that. And it's like, it's only nice compared to everything else. Yeah. I don't have a frame of reference for that because I have such a beautiful, wonderful wife. Um, so yeah. Um, I guess it's not my people. Gosh, <laughs> I've lost the one show I had. <laughs> um... I also wrote, be nice to Fran in all caps. Fran's pretty much awesome, yeah. Fran's pretty much awesome. Her brother's fucking hot. That accent. His accent, yeah. Ooh. You love yourself. Uh... You also admired the accents. Yeah. Um, and I also have an all caps, quit your job. Do you want to get into the job stuff a little bit or not really? Yeah. As a, a former journalist journalism student... Um, you had some problems with some plot holes or eh, conveniences. Plot conveniences. I mean, no one reads... 
like lit mags in the first place. So acting like she's reached like the mecca of some sort of profession, I was kind of like, eh, this is... Did they is... really act like she met the mecca though? I thought it... Well, she was like on a few occasions that she, um, you know, had had been wanting to work for this guy. Uh, I forget his name, but he's he's a pretty cool part of the show. This very flamboyant, like core Portland, um, older gay guy who is running the magazine. Who has some very funny comments, like dressed like you've been to New York at least once in your life, <laughs> um, but is also like deeply problematic and thinks that because he is also a minority because of his sexuality, that he like can't have problematic belief- beliefs about other segments of society. Yeah, and that was a risk the show took, I thought, in making uh, a marginalized person somewhat villainous in the show. But I think that is a it's point. important. Yeah. That is a point that needs to be made because it's not like every person who's not a straight, white, cisgendered, male, whatever, mm-hmm. is in it all together. Like, there's so much infighting within the LGBT community or within people of color or whatever. So right. I thought that was, uh, that part was actually decently nuanced of, like, how you can be a minority and still be prejudiced against other minorities, if you will, or minority groups or however you want to put it. Gabe is the editor of the, uh... Um, gosh, and even this guy's, uh... Gosh, he goes for that beard. He has Mr. got ben. to lose that beard. He would look like a normal human being if he Even didn't in have his a homeless headshots. beard. Wow. Is there is there any picture of him with no beard? No. Anyways. Um, one of the other things that I thought it did pretty well was showing like the the mood swings in a day. Yeah. Like, I think a lot of shows kind of stick to, like, this is a good day, this is a bad day, or, like, we're going to build up a good day just to have the bad news come in. And this this show, I thought, did a good job of being, like, Oscillating this is the them, best yeah. news ever, and then, like, oh, this is the worst news ever. And, like, the way they did that felt very authentic, mm-hmm. and as someone who, like, often has those types of days, like, I have a hard time when people are like, what was the best day of your whole life? I'm like, I don't know, because I don't have a consistent enough yeah. mood. Until to, you like, get to your pillow on your bed, you can't be guaranteed the day has gone one direction or the other. Yeah, so I thought this show actually felt kind of authentic to me of the way that your day can swing wildly and mm-hmm. uh, things kind of flip-flop very easily. So I was just like, this is a good day, yeah. this is a bad day. And they did that all in 20-minute episodes. Yeah. They also had a um, the first televised abortion that I've seen on TV. Oh, was that? Maybe. Yeah. At least in terms of like walking through the process. Correct. Um, I like almost forgot about that because that was episode one. Yeah. They do try and fit a lot into six episodes. Um, my one comment of like a maybe trope that I didn't like or something was um, as someone who has had close work friends, I hate how in so many TV shows they use it as a plot point of like you have to fuck over your work friends to like show that you're serious about someone or that like you have a significant other or something. Yeah. What was that other movie or TV show where, like, I was like, no, don't screw over your work friends. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was um, Sorry to Bother You. Maybe. Um, but, yeah, this book, I mean, sorry, this show suffered a little bit from, like, the uh, the Hallmark Channel Syndrome where there were a lot of logistics in play. Like, every time she had, she attended something for one friend or one lover that immediately contradicted with a work thing or another yeah. friend thing. Like, there was just a lot of poor calendar planning, yes. which, which Girl, drove get, a lot of the plot. Get iCal, you'll yeah. be fine. 
Um, but yeah, I just hate that trope like of like that you can't possibly support your work best friend and like your other friends and your your family and stuff. Yeah. I, I feel like that is such a like a how are we gonna add conflict to this episode? Or bringing this person more. Oh, we'll just make one person skip out on that person to show how much they care about us. Yeah. Forced tension. Like yeah. That. Forced tension. Exactly. Um, so I would say that, like, don't go into it thinking it's going to, like, change society and be, like, a very necessarily well-scripted or well-developed TV show. But I would say because it's only, like, basically a movie length. Correct. Uh, that I think it's worth watching for some of those smaller moments. So there's some funny moments. There's some really sweet A.D. Bryant moments. And there's just a couple of, like, per episode, there's at least one or two, like, really poignant or well-done moments that, like, mm -hmm. I've never seen anything like it on TV. Well before. said. I have nothing so. to add. All right. Are you going to start us off with the book then? Because. Sure. I don't, uh, is, I don't remember is a lot she of the our book. most podcasted author, do you think? I think she is at this point. We're we're happy to welcome Rainbow. Come on over here. No, she's not, not a friend here. of the show. She's not a friend far of away. you on Twitter, though. She likes my tweets a lot. You always bring up how close Nebraska is to Minnesota. It's not that far. All do we the time. need to Google the Google Maps again? Do we need to? Wait, here to Omaha? Yes, it's yeah, not that do it. Um. So, which ones have... Yeah, it's six hours. So, we've talked about... That's not that far. Eleanor that's and Park. Like closer than Chicago. Yeah. We've talked about Eleanor and Park. We've talked about Carry, Carry On. Carry On. We've never talked about Attachments. Fangirl. I've never read Attachments. Oh. We talked about Fangirl. Yeah. So, so this, this will be our fourth. Four. Mm -hmm. um, and Attachments will be the only one that you haven't read. Other than Runaways. I still think I need to get Runaways, but I'm just... I can't make that jump into comics. I'm, I struggle with that. Okay. So, we are talking about Landline, which I don't know where it came in terms of her order of novels, but anyways, this is a novel about adults, which is a rarity for Rainbow Rowell, mm -hmm. although we'll get into that a little bit more. Anyways, to set the stage... Um, it was her first no. book. No, sorry, Attachments was her first book. Yeah. It went Attachments, Eleanor... And Park, Fangirl, and then Landline. Okay. Um, so Landline is based around the main protagonist, uh, who is a woman named Georgie. Georgie McCool, because that's okay. a real name. I did not remember that name. She is married with two kids. Her husband is Neil. Mm -hmm. um, her kids are kind of annoying, so you can just forget about them. One of them <laughs> just meows the entire book. Um, they live in the kind of outskirts of Los Angeles because Georgie has always wanted to be a TV writer for her whole life. Okay. And she is working on, uh, it's described as kind of like a home improvement sitcom, like with Tim Allen. Um, but she dreams of starting her own show with her lifelong writing partner, at least since college, named Seth. Yes. Screwing over work friends. That comes into this one, too. Yeah. A little bit. He screws... Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Keep going. Um, and the book is actually a Christmas book. It is? Which I forgot about when I was making my book to just review, because I was like, I feel like I'm missing a little percentage here. It's about 5% Christmas, I would say. Yeah. And so the book takes place really over the course of, like, only, like, 10 days, I think, in December. Really? Yeah. Okay. But with it's lots of flashbacks and this. things. Um, anyways, the main tension, it sounds really pedantic, um, and logistical, like we were just saying, but anyway, anyhow, Neil's family is from, guess where? Nebraska. Yes. 
Um, and Speaking as someone who has more than one book set in Boston. Oof. And they have a family tradition of going back to visit his relatives for Christmas. But this year, Georgie has an opportunity to work on her new pilot script with Seth, Mm -hmm. but they need to work over Christmas. Mm -hmm. Just like Elf. Yep, exactly like Elf. Mm -hmm. Um, And so Georgie has to make the decision, and Neil sort of supports her in deciding to stay behind because this is her dream and this is what she's working for. Mm -hmm. So he takes the girls and goes off to Nebraska. She stays behind and actually spends most of her time not at work, but at her mother's house with her half-sister who lives in the house. And the rest of her family is convinced that she's like on the brink of divorce because her husband and she will be separated for Christmas. And like, it seems like like part of the reason that uh that happened was she correct me if i'm remembering this wrong but Mm. like she kind of didn't want to go deal with his family like i thought it was implied a little bit that like yes she needs to stay for work but she kind of had a choice more than she portrayed it to him um you disagree so a lot of stuff comes up in terms of her trying to search through like her true feelings about things but when the decision's made it's it's positioned as purely a work decision okay um so anyhow she doesn't want to stay in her empty house so she spends a lot of time at her mom's house like i Mm -hmm. said and here's where the twist comes in because her mom's house is basically in the same form it was when she was growing up i guess yeah uh and that includes a yellow landline telephone i think it's like described as like rotary dial yeah Um, cover it is at least yeah uh in her childhood bedroom and there's a lot of piss poor communication in this book. Like Neil apparently doesn't answer his cell phone or know how to text message. Mm-hmm. So that's like a very kind of contri- contrived convenience for why she has to search thought, out other methods of communication. You thought it was that he didn't wasn't capable. He, he did like as a rule he didn't use his cell phone. Okay. I read it I read it a little bit more as like he was pissed at her so he was not putting in an effort to use his cell phone. That could be too. Anyhow, so she for some reason picks up oh, her cell phone's always dead, which is like a running kind of joke, not really funny in the book, but anyhow. Yeah. Um so she ends up calling his his parents' home phone from her landline. Like high school era shit. Right. And has kind of a couple of weird conversations with her husband. Where he's mentioning events that, like, don't seem connected to this whole Christmas discussion. And he's talking about his dad who died, like, four years ago, which is a little unsettling. Yeah. Um, and so we'll go ahead and give away the twist here. Spoilers, I guess. It is a time-traveling phone, essentially. She is talking to her husband, Neil, circa, like, 20 years ago. When they had their biggest breakup during college, which then led to him proposing to her a few days after Christmas. Yeah. Or Christmas morning or something. Um, So the rest of the book is really her trying to figure out what is she supposed to do with this time-traveling phone? Is she supposed to try to keep things the way they are? Is she supposed to free Neil? Is she supposed to free herself? Is she supposed to go bang her work friend Seth? Is she supposed to do it or undo it, basically? Yeah. Like, how is she How is she supposed to deal with this relationship? Yeah. Is it 
like where they're at right now, they're in this serious rut or conflict issue, uh, part of their relationship. So the con the issue is like, should she try and fix things or should she try and make it so they never were there in the first place? Mm -hmm. um, my biggest issue with this book, and I didn't have that many, honestly. I don't. I can't decide if my grade is too high or not. My biggest issue with this book is that the cover and the title and like the main plot device are this magical phone, uh -huh. which is not actually used very much. It doesn't come in until like the second half of the book. And like for it being the main thing about the book, it's not actually that important to the plot of the book. So, it is and it isn't. So you must have like read the flap jacket or the summary before starting the book. So you knew there was like some sort of magical realism twist. Yeah. I knew absolutely nothing. I assumed that the landline reference was just to some sort of 90s flashback thing. Okay. Um, so once it became magical, I was kind of like, is it jumping the shark or not? But I was like, I wasn't, I wasn't fussed with it like you were. Okay. That was like um, my one complaint. So. The big thing for me, which like, like we said, we've talked about four Rainbow Roel books. I finally caught on. The girl hides a young adult book inside of all her books. I don't That's care great. what she's writing. Carry On was Harry Potter fan fiction trapped inside a young adult book. Yeah, it's fucking great. This was an adult, you know, investigation of marriage, but it was a young adult book. Yeah, it's fucking great. The way it's I, very readable. The way I said it was, despite being an adult-focused book, it still has the Rainbow Rowell magic. Yeah. Um, I... This was... A I book. read it in two and a half days. I read it in like a sitting. Yeah. Uh, this was a book that I originally read on Kindle, I believe. Mm -hmm. And I was actually glad that I read it on Kindle, which I don't say very often because there were so many lines that like I wanted to like highlight. I know. That was, oh my God. I felt like I had a connection to you. Why? Because you could see the ones I highlighted. Yeah. <laughs> did you, did you agree with the ones that I highlighted? Yes. Uh, in terms of the individual lines, what disappointed me about this book is that Georgie's supposed to be a hilarious TV writer, and it's not, there's no laugh out loud funny parts of this book. So you didn't necessarily buy the TV writer thing, or you think she's just going to fail? Yeah, I guess that could be the bright side see, to look at um, it. How I'll do I see my you. highlighted things? Sure. Um, any other strong feelings about this book? Uh, I think you said it best in that it's it's an adult fiction book, but there's a young adult book hiding in it or vice versa, mm -hmm. um, which works for me because there are certain things about adult fiction, especially like adult kind of romance or adult contemporary that I don't always like. Mm -hmm. And I didn't feel that with this book because it felt like a young adult book or a, an adult book masquerading as a, no wait, a young adult book masquerading as like adult contemporary. Mm -hmm. um, so I liked that about it. I thought it had a good cast of characters. I thought it was like pretty tight storytelling. There wasn't a lot of like B and C and D and E plots that I didn't care oh, about. Oh, I was going to mention that. I loved it saying that this is one of your primary highlights. I just lost it. Um, that one's a good one. It's like the sun being jealous of a light bulb. Yeah. Um, anyways, there is a subplot about the half-sister who, and it takes a gay twist at the end, which I actually kind of liked. Um, and the sis, the half-sister is probably the funniest part of the book, I'd say. Um, this was the one that you highlighted for sure. Neil was where Georgie plugged in and synced up and started fresh every day. 
he was the only one who knew her exactly as she was. So I loved the way that Georgie talked about Neil and thought about Neil. The actual flashback scenes to their, like, college romancing, like, I didn't really get a huge spark out of it. But she builds up her character of Georgie so much that even though I didn't care for her name, I didn't really, wasn't that invested in her romantic happiness, I was still, like, enthralled in her life still. Okay, so she, yeah. like, has a compelling way of doing her narrator. Yeah. Like, portraying her narrators. Yeah. Um, the thing that struck me the most about the flashbacks was, like, how brutal it was with um, the dad who had passed away. Mm. A little bit, like, about timey. Yeah. Of, like, her being able to, like, talk to him about his dad. Or did she talk to the dad at one point, I think? Uh, possibly. Uh, and that being, like, really brutal. I remember that. Yeah. Um, and you know I love, like, a time travel twist. Uh-huh. Like... Yeah, I know you hate it as much as I This is probably the highest grade I've ever given to a time travel what type you thing. Give it a B. I gave it an A. Yeah, I love a good time travel paradox in which like she ha like someone has to do something in order to like to make the plot work or to kill Hitler. No, the opposite, but to like keep the present as is, they have to like make a choice or do something and figure out what to do. Yeah. Uh like Prisoner of Azkaban style where they figure out like that they are the ones that have to throw the thing or do the spell or whatever. Right. And I thought this one was a little bit, had a little bit of like that, which is satisfying to me. Pincers. <laughs> a little bit of that, which is satisfying to me, which is like that she eventually had to figure out, she had to like make that choice of what to do and then figure out how that's going to affect the future. Um, so I liked that aspect of it, of it as well. Like that added a little bit, boosted a little bit of the grade for me of having that like I said, I didn't necessarily feel like the time travel phone thing was used as much as it was built up to maybe uh -huh. from what I was expecting, but I did like the way that it worked out in the end. Cool. Any other comments? Where'd you rank this in Rainbow Row books that you've read? Um, I would say Elnor and Park is still the best. Carry On is my least favorite and the other two are somewhere in between. Okay. I would think I'd have to reread re this one because I've reread Carry On and Eleanor and Park. Mm -hmm. um, did I reread Fangirl as well? I think so. So I would have had to. I would have to reread this one to figure out where it ranks. Um, but I did give it an A. Mm -hmm. So. All right. Do you want to skip to your upcomings? Yeah, I got a couple. I only have two. Um, new Sonic video game coming out. Okay. Uh, another attempt to make a Mario Kart that Sega people will care about. Okay. Um, although in the first paragraph of this story, it mentions that the game will have various horns, horn sounds. So if that's your selling point, also, also no, <laughs> just no. Um, more importantly, did we talk about this before? That Great British Bake Off is getting a junior version. <gasps> no, is it actually going to be cute? I hope so. Little little tiny British people talking to Paul Hollywood. That sounds adorable. There's a 10th season of the regular one starting this year in But I the thought UK. it wasn't the same people anymore. I, yeah, I, I see Paul Hollywood in this picture. I don't see Mary Berry. Did they just pick another random British old lady? I don't know. And it's not Sue and, Sue and Mary either, is it? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if I'm on board then. And time for everyone's favorite game. Fantasy Baseball Hour? No. Will this get Bennett to watch the <laughs> Dune movie? Hans Zimmer going to compose the music. And the answer is, fuck no. Ooh. 
that pushes me over the edge, though. The real question should be what's going to make Heather watch the Dune movie because I would not. I'm not really on probably with movies, Dune, but Oscar Isaac, Timothy Chalamet, and now uh, Hans Zimmer. I don't know. They're getting closer. Go. Um, speaking of Timothy Chalamet, mm-hmm. Call Me by Your Name, the sequel of the book. Yeah, don't do it, dude. There's more details about it. The film made me realize that I wanted to be back with them and watch them over the years. So there's a release date. It's going to be out in October. It's called Find Me. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, the other one I have is that, I'm sorry to say. What? Netflix got me. What did they get? Stranger Things 3. I'm in. Ugh. I'm in. I watched the trailer for the new one. And I'm in. Okay. I'm sorry. I'll watch it without you if I must. Nah, yeah, I'll background it. But I'm in. Kill off one of the kids. No. Can't kill children. <clears throat> I think that's all I've got. Yeah, I think we put in put in our time for this week. Okay, well, thank you for listening. As always, you can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at BookDigits. Mm-hmm. And or tell your follow friends. me. It's at CrossStitchBaker. It's not. One, two, three. CrossStitchBreadBaker. Mm. Hot CrossStitches buns. <laughs> um... And thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Peace out.